0: to the hockey think tank podcast brought to you by the hockey think a website for all players parents and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet what an episode we have for you guys here today we are bringing on the newly minted associate head coach for the michigan state spartans jared DeMichael and d mike comes to us he grew up in the connecticut area uh played his junior hockey in a bunch of different spots which we'll get to on the podcast before going to rit where he played his college hockey and took them as a goalie to the frozen four uh he then got into coaching started his coaching at the division three level with nazareth then went on to the saint lawrence saints then to UMass with Greg Carville where they won a national championship a few years ago and now he is moving on to Michigan State to get that program going in the right direction and this was a fantastic conversation before we get to the conversation though let's bring in another fantastic guy in the talent of the podcast Jeffrey Jehu, talent of the podcast hot guy of the podcast Levecchio
1: wow That's what's going on today Wow, I could feel that uh, from all the way in St. Louis. Thanks, Telsky. making me feel great today. Well, I figured I'd say it. you were probably gonna say it anyway. so I mean, I was yeah, gonna to say it. Lunch. that's usually how I introduce myself to people. <laughs> um, hi guys, nice to meet you, Jeff Vecchio, blue checkmark and the talent of the podcast. How you think tank? and they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, bro, I'm good, man. full full steam ahead lots, lots going on long days, long nights right now, but uh, it's paying off. everybody's crushing in the gym uh, my new my new uh, new phase is crushing uh, online and in person. The boys are killing it. Lots of my college guys are kind of trickling back pro guys are starting up first day for a bunch of them this week and next week. So super, super exciting time for me. And it's my time to be really, really dialed in with everything I do.
0: Grind time, baby grind time. Let's go. Grind let's time. go! Let's go! Let's go! My favorite uh, time of the year. <laughs> hey, I I get it now. Starting up a business again—it is grind time for me as well. And actually, I had some pretty cool things happening today. I know we've talked about it before, but Vex and I have started a business team building. Uh, little program that we have where we take what we've learned from the hockey world and go to businesses and do team and culture building with businesses. And we just booked our first one, a recruiting firm from here in Chicago. And I'm so excited for this, man. Like I feel like everything with the podcast and a lot of stuff that we talk about, we really want to translate stuff that we've learned in hockey into real life. Um, and if we can help businesses out to, build their culture and, and, you know, just become better at, at, like from an individual standpoint for every one of their employees, but also taking that together and making the entire company better. Like that's what we want to do. And so we're working with a lot of their leadership team and, and one of their teams in there. And, and I couldn't be more pumped to do this because, um, I, again, like we've learned so much in hockey that has taken us to to new heights in in life which is a lot harder than
1: life was
0: in in hockey and uh, yeah
1: man i'm pumped for this cannot wait man one of my favorite things in the world and and you too and this is why i take you know multiple hours out of my week to do this when i when i am you know legitimately very busy is because i freaking love helping people level up like i love it it's 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 almost i I'm addicted to it. It's almost like a drug to me when I see that spark go, or I get a message a week after talking to somebody a month, six months, a year, whatever it may be. And they're like, you remember we had that conversation Well, I implemented that. And like, I, uh, this is what's happened since, or, you know, they have in hockey, they have a great year because we talked about, you know, all the little details, little things they can do to get better. You know, I mean, uh, because you were like, I mean, honestly, because you were a short hockey player in a time when hockey players were huge and I was an unskilled meat stick who played hockey with his head down we had to do all these little things that a lot of guys that played at the levels we did didn't have to do and you know back then you know we get chirped for it doing it and be dedicated or whatever but we found ways at every level to level ourselves up to make ourselves relevant and then even excel at those levels and what we both learned is How much all of those little things we did can translate to the real world, all of them, every little thing we did, you can translate to a normal job, you know, whatever it may be a leadership role, whatever it is. And I love teaching people those things. And I know you do too. I think we're going to help a lot of companies. And we're also going to help a lot of individuals um, be happier with their life because we're going to teach them the little things that wind up being big things to be more successful
0: yeah for sure. and and it's become an obsession for both of ours. i I, I do, you know, when you talk about um making a difference, like, for me it's it's a huge part it's our why it is our why and we talk about that a lot from something we talk about in our in our team building you know i i just absolutely love going in there and that, getting the feedback like a month two months down the road where people are like hey i get it now or hey like I, I use something that you talked about to help our team succeed or to get level up i think that's what you said level up level up isn't that a, there's a song like that isn't there uh let's go with it yeah OK, cool. Uh, but yeah. And, and guys, like we've put a lot of time and effort in and, and myself, put a lot of time and effort into these kinds of things. And it has become my obsession. And I've gotten the opportunity to work with so many different people. And it, just to see how well received it's, it's been it, is really humbling. And, and again, we do this for impact. And when we see that we've had the impact, like when I did this with the college teams, I actually went in. I did I did quite a few of them during the middle of the year. And it was funny because I I saw a lot of the teams kind of like get better after after I was there and talking about a lot of the different stuff. And so I actually like kind of pulled their records from when I went in from before I went in to after I went in. And it was pretty cool because before I went in the teams, they were 15, 26 and one. And after I went in the, the like the little game span that I had after that, it was 27, 13 and two.
1: wow that's awesome
0: and so it just it's just a really real thing where we talk about real stuff and it does get like it can get uncomfortable at times like i ask a lot of prodding questions um, I, I really want to get issues out on the forefront. I think you have to be upfront and honest and a lot of different stuff. And, you know, with that comes a lot of more unity and comes a lot more clarity with what you're doing, both as an individual and how that relates to your identity as, as a team or as an organization, as a company, as a program, whatever it may be, right? So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, to start doing this with more businesses. You know, both of us have, have spoken to businesses on, on many different occasions, um, but then putting this program together. To, to really hammer in and get deep on on how we can help to make your company and each individual person within your company better. I'm like really excited about it. And the fact that we booked this first one and we've had other different conversations, man, like I'm, I'm
1: really excited for this. Really excited for this. You're getting me jacked up. I've been up since like the butt crack of dawn and now I want to <laughs> flip a table and go, go, you know, give some speeches. Like I love this stuff. I live <laughs> for it, man. I, I seriously, I live for it. I'm stoked. Yeah, I, I absolutely love
0: team building with with hockey players and, and hockey teams. I love team building with with businesses now too. And yeah, so reach out to us, whether it's Jeff through Instagram or me, tofer at thehockeythinktank.com If you want to work on us or work with us on on culture building, uh just talk to another coach today um out in Martha's Vineyard actually, uh, gonna be doing some high school hockey team building with their team remotely. And uh yeah, I just it's it's a lot of fun to do that stuff. And and yeah, man, like we've failed so much, we've learned so much. We've We've been through the ringer on a lot of different things and, and, you know, we're not afraid to be vulnerable and talk about some of our good and bad experiences. And that I think really connects with the people that we, that we speak with. And so really looking forward to that, really looking forward to this podcast as well. This was a very fun conversation with D Mike, uh, D Mike, he called himself a social butterfly on the podcast and he is, he's, he's a great guy. Um, to, to talk hockey with to talk life with on the road and stuff you know he, he's got a great track record obviously winning a national championship with UMass a few years ago and, and then joining Adam Nightingale's staff here in uh, Michigan State but he's done a really good job very well respected coach in, in the coaching community and yeah this is a really fun conversation because he had a really interesting and unique journey as a player and so we got to talk a little bit about that. And I'm sure a lot of the kids that are listening will relate a lot to, to his story as a player. And then just getting into the nitty gritty of, of college coaching and recruiting and stuff. Um, that was fun to, to give a lot of people perspective on as well.
1: He's funny, man. He made me laugh multiple yeah, he's times. A beauty. Like yeah. it was, it, it, it was good. And he said, he, he kind of talked like we do. So it was, it was pretty funny. Like when he made like some, some funny jokes, uh, just reminded me of like you and I bantering. So it was a good, <laughs> good, uh, good, a couple good locker room, uh, uh, back and forth there. I liked it.
0: Yeah, that's why I mean, it's funny. Like we tell every every guest that comes on beforehand, hey, we're going to start it off by asking you what you fell in love with hockey with because I think that's a huge part. We want people to be passionate about the game and it's great to hear how people became passionate about the game. But then at the end of the day, it ends up being three guys shooting the breeze about hockey or three or two guys and a girl. We've had plenty of women on the podcast too. Um, and so, yeah, this was a, a lot of fun. D makes a great, D makes a great guy. And uh, it was really cool to hear, him talk about his experiences both as a player and, and as a coach it's a real real good perspective into college hockey i feel like
1: yeah yeah you guys are definitely going to like this one i also asked some questions that i think are going to help a lot of parents too at this specific time of the summer about junior hockey he brought up a couple of things that i think will uh will resonate with a lot of parents and players as they go through it's a tough time junior tryouts and you know like you're going to multiple tryouts and all that stuff and that's that's a tough time um, you know, there's there's decisions to make that are really important. And so we got into that a little bit too. So hopefully that helps some people out there listening.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we have some people to thank here. Before we do get over to D Mike, want to thank Gel Sticks, your awesome way to training aid that you can use with hockey sticks. They also have golf clubs, they also have lacrosse sticks. And so go to gelsticks.com, G E L S T X dot com. Use the coupon code think tank one word.
1: And you will get a discount on those weighted training sticks. Jeffrey, train heroic. We also want to thank train heroic. It's the unbelievable app that I have trained thousands of people, both hockey players and general population on and uh drum roll. Pretty exciting. This week I became an NCAA D one strength coach, kind of um, Alaska Fairbanks reached out to me. They, they uh, fired their strength coach at the end of the year and uh reached out to me wanted me to work with their guys because all the guys were going home for the off season so they weren't going to be in person anyways and uh spoke to the coach great dude and you know we he liked um my philosophies on training and this is the first week the boys have been training with me got tons of feedback today talking to a ton of the guys online they're loving the program they feel great so that's been super exciting and you know just to remind you guys like i do this online i started it um because I wanted to help people during COVID. And then I kept doing it because I like being able to offer legitimate, like real, safe, effective, efficient, going to make you a better hockey player, not a power lifter, not a bodybuilder, stronger, faster, more injury resilient, all online for a hilariously cheap price um, per month. So that's why I do this. So if you haven't tried it, um, you know, don't be afraid to reach out and ask what it's about. I would love to work with you. Um, super easy. And uh, yeah, it's been an exciting week for that. So thank you to Train Heroic for allowing me to do that. And I also want to thank uh, Cured Nutrition, uh, CBD company that uh, I am now ambassador for. Uh, I've been using CBD since my last year pro going on five years now. Um, It has helped me immensely. Uh, There's tons of science behind why CBD works and why people have all different types of positive effects from um, supplementing with CBD. It's not something scary right? It's coming from a plant, there's no THC in it. And uh, it's something that helps people live better lives, whether you've had concussions, like myself, 14, or you haven't. Uh, My mom takes it, my dad takes it, my grandparents have taken it. uh, My girlfriend takes it, like, I literally take it twice a day, and it has elevated my life. So if you're looking to try it, um, curednutrition.com and use the code, obviously, GMBM. (laughs) Obviously, (laughs) <laughs> Obviously, as Tope's wearing his GMBM hat, because I got to see him this weekend yeah. in the flesh, not through a, 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 a TV or a computer screen. It was awesome. He also came in and spoke to my my junior or my college group at 6.40 a.m. Uh, or 7 a.m. on Monday on a holiday. You better believe my guys still work out on holidays. And Toph worked. He came in and spoke to the boys, got them going on that Monday. And that was awesome, too.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and my girls got to see Uncle Jeff. The girls got yeah, to see baby. Uncle Jeff. And run dad. around and buzz
1: around in my gym. And I'm telling you, Toph, Toph, uh, he passed down his athleticism to his daughter, Paige. She is a little savage. She's going to be a <laughs> sick gymnast. I'm telling you right now, mark my words. She is high energy. I'm going to make sure I specialize
0: her in one sport. <laughs> All she's going to do is that sport. No. <laughs> um yeah so thank you also to icehockeysystems.com the best website for coaching education and these guys are awesome we have teamed up with them to do an association platform where you can get this for every single coach within your organization and every single parent within your organization as you will get the hockey parent survival guide with that also for your coaches unbelievable drill drawing tool you get access to thousands of drills and whiteboard explanations you can take everything that you have and pass it on to your players pass it on to other coaches in your organization just a phenomenal resource to to make every coach parent and player better so great 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 website go to icehockeysystems.com and use the associate or look for the associations tab and we also love our listeners thank you so much for continuing to support us through this awesome awesome journey that we've been on here and uh want to read a review thank you so much for everybody that you know takes the time to to leave to leave these ratings and leave these reviews for us uh goes a long way to legitimizing our podcast. so when people are looking for a hockey podcast to listen to they're like oh These guys have a lot of ratings and reviews. This must be legit. So um, thank you to everybody for doing that. And uh, so like we do every week now, we want to read one of our reviews. So this one is from RC Angel. And RC Angel says, thank you. Great show for hockey dads who never played the game, but their kids are absolutely obsessed with the greatest team sport on the planet. Very informative and entertaining. So RC Angel, please go to Instagram. Find a blue check mark, Jeff Levecchio, and let him know that that was you, and he will give you a free hip mobility through Train Heroic program, which uh, tons of people have used. I know I've talked to a lot of people who've used it, and for us hockey guys who have unbelievably awful hips, <laughs> this uh, is really a game changer. So, um Reach out to him. Thank you, RC Angel, and thank you everybody for leaving these these ratings and reviews. Again, we want to be better too, and and so reading this stuff, we read every one, and uh, we really appreciate all of the feedback, and it fuels us even more to to continue to
1: do this thing. So I just want to say one more thing. Whoever um whoever's review that we read a few weeks ago, I had been talking to him on Instagram, and he wanted to start it in like a week. If you're listening. Uh, DM me again real quick and I will put it on your calendar for you because we held off the DM went way down and I get lit. I'm not kidding. I get over a hundred messages a day on Instagram and I try to answer all of them and then Twitter and then email and then all of my online training clients and then all my in-person clients. So sometimes on Instagram, those, those messages get pushed way down by the end of the day. So message me again so I can get that on your calendar for you. There we go. There we go. Jeff Levecchio. Very popular guy, but also a man of the people. There we go. Man of the people.
0: (laughs) Um, So you guys are going to love this episode. This is a great conversation. So without further ado, here we go with the new associate head coach for Sparty, Michigan State Spartans, Jared DeMichael. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast podcast. Well, he's not in East Lansing yet, but he will be in East Lansing coming up very, very soon. It's Jared DeMichael. Jared, how are you doing today?
2: Doing well, Tove. Doing well. Happy to be here.
0: There we go. There we go. Well, DeMike, I'm pumped to have you on the podcast. A lot going on in your life right now. I'm sure your phone's buzzing off the hook and uh, I don't know if your wife's taking care of the moving uh, duties or not with with you having so much going on. But uh, first of all, congrats on the new gig. How are you feeling about it?
2: No, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm excited. The, uh, I feel like I'm drinking out of a fire hose a little bit, but, but knew that expected that that's a good thing. Um, but no, uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm really excited to work with Adam Nightingale. Um, been super, super impressed by him. And, and obviously, um, a university like Michigan state speaks for itself, but my, my family, my wife our two kids. They're, they're younger, but we, when we told them we were going to move, they they seemed like they were pretty excited about it and my wife's excited for it too. So I think it's, we're, uh, we're really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you got good, uh, good name genes vexy has got a daughter named Paige.
1: so there we go two peas in a pod i love your pagey i don't know yours but i'm sure she's a great girl <laughs> pa-
2: pagey page sweet pea we call her sweet pea.
0: <laughs> i like that i like that well d mike let's let's uh, roll it way back man and uh introduce you for the people that don't know you to to our listeners and you grew up in connecticut and uh, I would imagine just even based on your Twitter profile, it was a, a sad day when the Hartford Whalers moved to a good old Carolina. But how did you fall in love with the game? Was your family involved with it? What, uh, what got you into this great sport?
2: Yeah, no, so um, I got into the game. I mean, like how a lot of people do, I actually skated outdoor on a pond in a town called Torrington, Connecticut, Bessie Pond. I had uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle double runner skates. That's where I kind of got my beak wet a little bit but uh, wow. obviously the, 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 the Hartford Whalers were the, the, were the NHL team, the only professional team in the state of Connecticut. And at the time growing up, um, our, our family split season tickets, I think, with like six other families, but um, we used to go to the games and we would sit on our parents' lap. When I say us, like my sister and I, so we only had two tickets, but we'd go to the games, sit on our two parents' laps, and just got addicted to, to watching the game. And um, used to go to, like, the Hartford Whalers season ticket holder events and signings and everything like that. So uh, that's kind of how I got into the game. And I started off as, as a Ford, the, um, played in-house. Uh, then I made the Square B team with Watertown Youth Hockey. I thought I was a man. I thought I was going just straight to the <laughs> NHL first overall. And then uh, P- Pee Wees came around and hitting got involved. And I wasn't the best at stick handling with my head up. And uh, my parents were like, hey, like, you know, you always watch Sean Burke and Jason Muzzotti, Michigan State alum, no big deal. And uh, they were like, hey, like, why, why don't you try a different position? Why don't you try goalie? And I tried it out, and uh, that was first-year peewee and kind of went from there. But just loved going to watch the Wailers, um, loved watching the games on TV. Obviously, the, the Whalers took their lumps back then, but we, we were diehard through and through. Like, I, I would compare it a little bit maybe to, like, the – the Buffalo Bills and the Bills Mafia now. Um, that's kind of what we were for the Whalers, And that's how I first got into it. My parents, not like no real hockey background. My, my dad was probably more of a baseball, basketball guy. Um, and my mom just super, super supportive. She was a cheerleader in high school. So maybe that's where she just got that support in, in her genes. But they just, um, they just said, hey, work hard and have fun and good things will happen and just kind of progressed from there.
1: I love it. I love, I love it. that too. That's what my parents basically said to my dad. My dad's only advice about hockey always was hard work, patience, and more hard work. And that's all he ever like years. Didn't matter if I was in pro good times, bad times, he would say the same thing. You know what to do. Hard work, patience, more hard work. And that, that was his only advice. And I think it was pretty good advice actually.
2: No, my, when I see my dad, he still says the same thing. Like when we walk away, whatever, I'll give him a hug after a game. And obviously I'm a washed-up overweight coach, and he's just like, "Hey, work hard, have fun, and kind of go from there." So
1: it, it's <laughs> that's fun. awesome. Dads are gonna dad. Yeah, Dads yeah,
2: are dad.
0: There you go. There you go. Well, you know the the work hard and patience, and and work harder. That I feel like that kind of signifies your your career from a playing standpoint too, you know, you were a goalie and just kind of looking through your, your elite prospects today. Uh, it's your, your junior journey was absolutely crazy. eh? Like, but I, I think that that's, it's such a good lesson on perseverance and like everybody has a different path because I think, you know coaching and i've talked about this on the podcast before coaching at the 16u like everybody thinks it's a it's a straight and narrow path to division one hockey but at the end of the day there's a whole hell of a lot of twists and turns and ups and downs and things you don't expect and it's just a crazy ride and and looking at it like you played for five junior teams in four different leagues and as a goalie you know that's that's obviously not the norm but you know you there's only two positions for goalies on, on teams. And so you got to go where you're wanted and you got to go, you know, where you're going to play and stuff. And you eventually found your way to the USHL and the Chicago steel. Um, But talk, talk a little bit about like your, your journey getting to RIT and I want to talk about RIT because that was an unbelievable experience for you too. But you know, what was it like kind of going through those ups and downs? Cause we do have a lot of kids that listen to the podcast that are going to be either going through it or are going through it right now. So what was that experience like for you?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, before junior hockey, um, I played for Avon Old Farms Prep School. And uh, there was a goalie ahead of me named Jonathan Quick. Turned out to be a pretty good goalie. <laughs> um, but at that time growing up in uh, – I grew up in the northwest corner of Connecticut in a town called Harrington. It, it, like Growing up then, like you went, you went to prep school, and then you went to, you went to college. And um, junior hockey was just starting to get like, a little bit of momentum in our way. Uh, out our way. And uh, my goalie coach at the time in Connecticut, a man by the name of uh, Dan Stewart, He actually works for the St. Louis blues as their development goalie coach. Now he recommended to me like, Hey, like I think you should give junior hockey a try. Like I, I think you've got a chance to be a division one goalie. And um, he helped kind of build a relationship with the Springfield junior blues. They didn't even draft me. Um, I had to go to like an open camp, did halfway decent at the open camp, went to their main camp, made the team um, had, had a, whatever, I would say an, an okay year, an inconsistent year. Um, and at the end of that year, I was told like, I wasn't guaranteed a spot back. So when I heard that, I was like, I better find a team that I can play for. Cause like you said, there's only, there's only two spots in the goalie position. So um, my dad, and I mean, he's, like I said, he's not a hockey guy, but he was like, Hey, like this team in the Eastern junior hockey league, they may not be very good, but like, you're going to get a lot of shots. And if you stop a lot of pucks, like that's going to open up some doors. So I went and played for the Boston Harbor Wolves and actually built some really good relationships with some guys on that team. Um, like how hockey is just a small world. Cameron Burt was a, a player on that team who I ended up playing with at RIT, who I believe is the all time leading score in division one hockey at RIT history. And then also on that team was Rod Braceful who used to work for the NTDP is now with the Chicago Blackhawks. So well, yeah. again, you, you just never know how things are going to happen. Um, and then around November the Indiana ice kind of like reached out to me and was like, Hey, like, do you want to come and play on the USHL? And I was like, well, yeah, like I think that's probably, obviously it's the best league. If I do well there, it's going to open up more doors. So um, got traded to the Indiana ice right around Thanksgiving was there. Um, great experience uh, lived with the Scott family. They, they were great to me. Um, Indiana, I think was only like their second or third year in the league, but that was an unreal setup there in Indianapolis. And then, just learning about the business of hockey. Um, on Christmas Eve, I got a call from the Indiana ice saying that they wanted to add an overage Ford and they needed to get rid of an overager. And I was the odd man out and they're like, Hey, like we're either going to trade you or put you on waivers. And I've told the story a few times, but like playing for the ice, like I thought I was the man. So before Christmas, like I bought my parents a, a bunch of gifts and I remember on Christmas day, I already had all the presents wrapped. I'm not the best rapper in the world, but, uh, remember giving my mom a present she opens up and like she holds up the indiana ice like hoodie i got her and then when she pulled it down she had like tears in her eyes and
1: I was oh like, no like,
2: don't worry like we're, we're gonna make through make it through this and um the the steel um tofu you mentioned uh i was very lucky that they decided to pick me up and i finished the second half of the season there and great great group of guys um i think that year we actually i mean our win loss record wasn't great, but I think we had the, the most commitments of any team in the USHL. And I absolutely fell in love with the uh, city of Chicago too. Like that was unreal. And um, like during that time that I transitioned from Indiana to Chicago, like I started to hear from RIT and emailed back and forth with uh, the assistant coach, then Scott McDonald. And then Wayne Wilson, we started conversations and towards like early middle of March as an overager, had an official visit and committed on the official visit and kind of went from there. And a big reason I committed there was like, it was a great fit for hockey and academics, but Wayne Wilson was like super honest with me and I loved it. He was just like, Hey, like we have two really good returning goalies. Like I'll try to do everything I can. If you work hard to get you some games, your freshman year, when I maybe a game, maybe some mop up duty, like, but you're probably not going to play a ton. And then after that, um, if you earn it, like there's going to be an opportunity to play. And it was refreshing to hear that. Like, I feel like nowadays, every kid's want, wants a, a guarantee. And I like to joke around and reference Tommy boy, where you can get a guarantee on this box and it could be a guaranteed piece of shit <laughs> where the, you could you can make the most of that guarantee by being a really good hockey player and working hard and being a good student. Buddy, so, if
0: you were recruiting me, if you said that line, I
1: would commit right there in the spot. From you said boy you <laughs> can get a good look at a butcher by sticking your head up a bowl's. Wait a minute. No, no, but it's
2: gotta, wait, it's gotta be your. Butcher.
1: <laughs> wait, Jared, I, I want to go back to something you said, because, you know, this is the thick of junior tryouts and all that stuff. And Toph and I both get a lot of emails, DMS, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. I got a blue check mark. Follow me. Um, <laughs> and uh it, during this time of year, about junior teams, and you know, so many people are like, I want first of all, these kids call it the U show, and I absolutely hate that. There's one show, it's the NHL, it's the USHL, it's a great league, but it's the USHL, not the U show. But, anyways, um, you said I went to a team that I thought I was going to get a lot of shots on because that would make me better, and that's something that I just want to quickly touch on about you know, juniors coming straight from a college coach's mouth, like how important is it to pick the right team for the player at that time where they are? Because so many guys are like, I just got to play in the USHL or I got to play in the null or I got to play in the BC. And it's like, you know, maybe that's not the best spot for you. You know, like, can you, can you touch on what you meant by that?
2: Yeah, no. Like, so going back even farther, like, um, and again, this is my dad, this is him kind of being like a baseball guy. But for me as a goalie, he was like, Hey, like you should be on a team that you're going to face a lot of shots. It'd be like a hitter getting a lot of at bats. Like, that's just how he thought about it. So like, he never let me play for the best triple A team. He actually wanted me to play on the weaker triple A team. So I'd get a lot of shots, a lot of tough chances. And when I was 12, 13, 14, I was like, dad, like we lose every single game. Like this is brutal. And I'm facing 50 shots. He's like, well, you're facing 50 shots and you're getting better. That other kid that might be winning every game is getting 15 shots and he's going to get worse because of it. Um, So, I mean, he kind of had the same mindset and I'm not going to lie. I kind of had the same mentality in junior hockey. I'm like, this is my last year of juniors. Like my last kick at the can, like I can't go somewhere where I'm going to lose all the time. And um, I think a lot of kids think, Oh, if I go to that popular name, junior program, that's just going to be an oasis where It was no different when I was playing for the Steel than when I was in the EJ, like I needed to stop pucks. I needed to be a good teammate and I needed to be a good student. And that was the only thing that was gonna really help. So I I think when kids are looking for a junior place to play, like wherever you go, you need to be around good people and you need to earn a good opportunity, not be given a good opportunity. You need to earn a good opportunity. Um, And you can look at our, our teams from UMass that uh, Greg Carvel, Ben Barr, and, and myself, um, we worked to put together. Like we had, we had a lot of USHL kids, but we had kids from the BCHL, the AJ, the OJ, the CCHL, the NA. Like we loved all those leagues, and there's different pieces from each, each league that you need to build um, a strong team. But uh, the same thing can be said for Denver's national championship team this year. Like they have kids from all over the place. So um, sometimes people can get too fixated on. One team or one league, but you can get all. Oh, I'm on this whatever the best team ever created. Well, if you're a fourth liner and you get five minutes a game, like nobody's gonna be able to see you play. How, how are you supposed to develop? So that like that opportunity piece is important. That that was whatever for me in college. Like, I mean, I, I would have loved to had an opportunity to to go to whatever a school that whatever I might have thought was sweet, but I, at the end of the day, RAT was the sweetest thing for me where. I got a great education and I got a legit opportunity to play division one hockey. And um, we got the chance to whatever, play some of those programs that were maybe thought to be more blue bloods. And it was great having that chip on your shoulder and proving people wrong and, and beating those teams. So
0: yeah. It's, Cornell, it's, thank it's, you.
2: It's, they beat it's, us.
0: It was sick Vex. They, they played us, I think it might have been your freshman year, maybe your sophomore year, D Mike, Sophomore, year, sophomore. Year. At uh, at Blue Cross, which is where well you played that Blue Cross with the Rochester Americans, the AHL team. So we played up there, the barn was like freaking packed because RIT for people that don't know, like RIT is a freaking big-time hockey school. Like they the fans are unreal, the rink is awesome, like it's a hockey school. And so like the place was filled and they
1: freaking mopped us up, man. They they smoked us. <laughs> oh, I don't he- I don't hear uh toe. F- with some bad Cornell stories off. So that was, that was good to hear D Mike. I love that. Hey, man, you go? Well, that's one of the, I mean, I know you had something here. Why don't you go first and I'll ask D Mike
0: about RIT. You had something there.
1: Well, I was, I was just going to say, I think that's so important for parents to hear, you know, like uh, in the gym today, I was talking to one of my, one of my junior players, moms, and uh, he just got a, a tender from a NAHL team. And last year he started in the NA, then he dropped down a league to the NCDC and, um, And he did really well there and his first year juniors last year and uh, talking to his mom today, you know, she's like, yeah, you know, the the coach was really impressed when he, when he talked to this player, because he said, well, you were in the league last year, and then you were out of it. Like what happened? And he was like, to be honest with you, like, I wasn't ready for it yet. Um, I played in a lower league. I got my confidence. I learned my timing. I learned what it means to be a junior player. And, you know, that's when he excelled and then now he's getting a tender. So it's like to the parents listening, don't, and the players you know it's not just like where is the best league or where is the best team it's like where's the best team for you right now in your development and i love that you said that you went to a team like that and your dad's thinking like maybe he didn't even know he's thinking like this is developing you but you playing on the lesser triple a team develop the shit out of you by getting all those shots and I personally had the exact same mindset leaving the USHL after my third year, I went to Western Michigan when they weren't the powerhouse that they are now. And in the last couple of years, like they were bottom, bottom of the totem pole in the CCHA, always finishing perennially for the most part, you know, 10, 11, 12 out of 12. But I went there on purpose because in my head, I was like, well, I'm gonna have the best chance to play there versus the really big schools um, that are winning championships that want me to stay another year. I thought I was ready and I was like, if I go there, I think I can earn this chance to play more which I did and it obviously worked out well for me so there's no like you have to be at this spot for the parents listening your kid doesn't have to be in the USHL they don't have to be here or there like go where TOF says this literally all the time go where the coach is the best coach is going to help your player get better go where you're going to have the opportunity to play a lot or, or learn a lot and develop whatever that means for your player at their stage of development
2: the um I got to put this out there too, because, uh, Jeff church tof, but, uh, Western Michigan was also on our hit list at RIT. <laughs> my we, we went out and took out the, the Lawson Luditex two to one, two. So they were all in Lawson in Lawson. Wow. Doesn't oh, happen
1: yeah. often. That's, that's impressive. Were they, was it, uh, like a good time of year? where there fans or was it like a Thanksgiving where nobody's there?
2: No, it, it was, it was opening weekend. It was packed. Like I, oh, buzzing. I never heard of the Lawson Luditex and, Somebody said, like, in whatever, TOEF knows uh, knows Chris Claxon, but Claxon said we had really good fans. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then we came out for warm ups, and it was just juiced. Um, And I'll never forget, we had a really good defenseman on our team at UMass. His name is Dan Ringwald. Um, Played in the American League, played overseas, was like an over 100 point defenseman through his four years of college. But I remember, like, the lunatics were chirping. I'm like, six can't skate, six can't skate. (laughs)
1: i love it i love yeah they're they're crazy there was a huge controversy in our family who's got who had better college hockey fans uh Toph at cornell oh, or buddy, me at western don't
0: even don't even start
1: mm. you never even saw western i, I you saw did see western i saw it when i did.
0: was on a yeah we had christmas break or something like that and you guys were still playing you were playing the national program Oh you remember yeah. That, when yeah. Came out that there? game doesn't count though. Oh.
1: That was only NHL scouts in that, at that game. <laughs> God, I played terrible in that game too. That really hurt me.
2: <laughs> the, you, you guys will love this being Midwest guys too. But, uh, in the USHL, a lot of times after games, like teams had Fazoli's and <sighs> oh, yeah. I, I thought, I thought Fazoli's was like Olive Garden macaroni grill, like a chain Italian restaurant. So when we were going out to Western, um, our equipment manager, who's now the associate AD at RIT, he, he's like, Hey, like D Mike, like you were out like Midwest, USHL, like where should we go? And he's like, Listen off Italian places. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> we should go f- to Fazoli's for pregame. Like we got postgame there. It's awesome. It'll be really good. And I, but I'd never been to a location in person. So we're pulling up to Fazoli's in Kalamazoo um, before the game for our pregame meal. And like there's a drive through. Like it's not oh, like no. sit down. <laughs> So, like, I'll never forget, like, the equipment guy that is, like, looking at me, like, D-Mike's, like, what the heck's going on? And Wills, the head coach, was like, who the hell picked this place? Like, who's the idiot? And it was, like, my first start of the season. I remember being like, God, like, I better not suck tonight or I'm never going to play another game here ever again. And we we snuck out of W and Western and the rest is history. But the 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 guys on the RAT still talk about that trip where they're, like, there was a drive-through at this, like, Italian
1: restaurant over uh, Italian restaurant is an overstatement too, as well. (laughs) However, when we were in juniors, uh, know i'm somewhat somewhat of a shake and a shaker and a baker and uh i got our whole team to get free smoothies and unlimited breadsticks from edna in omaha at fazoli's so like i'd be back in the back we'd go the boys would be ordered i'd be in the back making my own but strawberry banana smoothie with edna they're slinging breadsticks at us they're unbelievable they're not good for you but oh my god are those breadsticks delicious they're straight grease and they grease the hoop up too so you're you're lucky you you got <laughs> out of there with a W and no uh, racing stripes in your, in your ditch. <laughs> oh, no doubt. No doubt. Oh God.
0: Anybody, anybody who played in the USHL or has recruited out that way knows Fazoli's and that was, yeah, phenomenal. But that is, that's really funny that they, he did that for the pregame meal. I got, I can just imagine Wills being like, what is going on here? Oh man. I like it. Well, I, I want to talk about your time at RIT um, because you guys had a magical run. I believe it was your senior year, right? Your senior yeah. year, you guys went to the Frozen Four and, and and made a run at a national championship, which you don't see very often from Atlantic hockey schools. And um, so I wanted to ask you about that, like now being a college coach. And, and I'm fascinated in this too, doing team building with a lot of different colleges and stuff, you know, you, you walk into different places and you see how their cultures are set up and how they do things, you know, what, what was it about that year that made it so magical? And then what are some of the things that you've taken from that year um, that, that you use as, as a coach going on with, with the teams that you've coached in St. Lawrence and UMass and now heading off to
2: Michigan state? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it sounds cliche and uh, obviously whatever culture identity, those things are obviously a lot of buzzword that a lot of us coaches like to use, but we never talked about it at RIT, but like Wills, Brian Hills, David Salako, Mike Jermaine, like the coaching staff set the tone. And we had a great group of guys. We had great leadership that, that led by example, um, Dan Ringwald, Steven Maddock, um, Andrew Favin, and Sean Murphy, just a really good leadership group of, of seniors and juniors we had a really good freshman class came in that had a guy by the name of Chris Tanev that's still playing in the NHL to this day. What a
0: freaking warrior that guy is! Holy. Yeah.
2: So, uh, like we we thought we would have a good team, and if you go back and actually look at it, I think we started the season like zero and five, and every game was tight, but we just not a great start, and then we started our conference play, and um, we went on like a huge winning streak, and ironically enough, like our. Our team model that year was fear of the streak. And it wasn't fear the streak because of a winning streak. It was fear of the streak because tigers travel in streaks. That's what they call like whales travel in pods. Um, so we said fear of the streak and it was the back of our shirt. And I think we went on a heater from like November um, into early January. And then early January, we got waxed by Mankato. Uh, but then again, after that, we went on like another big winning streak and it led all the way into the NCAA tournament, so we had like two double-digit winning streaks. But um, no egos on the team, and again, it sounds like all cliche, but it didn't matter if you were the the first line guy or the sixth defenseman. Like everybody just wanted to win and um, had it really a great time off the ice. Um, but you just knew like it, it was special there. And um, obviously, a guy like Tanev um, helped out my cause, blocking a ton of shots. Him, him, and Dan Ringold were our number one D pairing, but. We just had really good depth, and we had a lot of guys that were um, that wanted to prove people wrong, that knew that people doubted them, and we had a lot of confidence. And for us at RIT, like, there was a hurdle for us to get over at Blue Cross in the Atlantic Hockey Tournament. Like, we'd always get there, and we just, whatever, wouldn't find a way to finish the job. And then that year, we finished the job, and we went to the tournament, and we played Denver, who I think was the second overall seed. Um, and our coaches at RIT were super smart. Like, they just – Um, they, they keep things pretty quiet with like the outside noise, but they would just, they would post like an article of, of team saying we, whatever people saying we would get waxed and, um, Brian Hills. I remember him, like he, he put an article on my stall and it was about how good the Denver goalie was and how like DeMichael doesn't even compare. And like, he knew that would like get me going. Um, so I joke around and say there was some strategy behind what they were doing, but, um, (laughs) That, that got our team hyped up and I think it helped us too that we were in Albany so not too far from RIT so we had a really good following there and we, we got out on an early lead against Denver um, and just kind of played our game and you guys know this from watching the tournament like if you get an early lead on a team like it's hard to come back and, and our team at RIT like um, we were pretty buttoned up like we weren't afraid to hit guys go through guys play like an intimidating style and we were old like we were old balls. Like I was a 25 year old when I graduated. Like we, we had a lot of older players on that team. Um, felt like we played the right way and we found a way to, to, to win that game. And then the next night it was a quick turnaround. We played who was the uh, regular season champion for, for hockey East. And um, watching them play whatever the night before, like super, super offensive and talented. And I think we felt like if we could kind of maybe frustrate them a little bit, that would open things up and we'd get our chances and we capitalized on our chances. And I think we, whatever, I think we won that game like six to two. Um, so that, that was awesome. Like we went back to campus. Like um, I remember one of our players, Scott Knowles, it was his birthday. Like he got off the bus and was like crowd surfing. The, the Zamboni <laughs> was out. Like people were acting like we won the national championship and we were just made it to the frozen four. And then when we got to the frozen four in Detroit on Ford field, we got absolutely waxed by Wisconsin who like, their decor I think five of their six D are still playing in the NHL um like they had Smith McDonough Schultz Ramage um I'm forgetting another guy but their team Jeffrey on won the Hobie so I mean I'm pretty sure the better team won that game and it wasn't even close but it it was super super special just that that underdog mentality um and I've said this whatever a few times two telling stories but like the the post-game press conferences like people kept calling us underdogs, underdogs. And I, 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 like, I was kind of getting frustrated because I was like, how are we underdogs? Like we've won 27 games this year. Like we, we clinched the Atlantic hockey regular season championship in like early February. Like we have a, like a bunch of guys that are over 30, 40 points. Like this team is legit. So when somebody, somebody asked like, Hey, uh, like, what do you guys feel about the underdog? And like, I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I was like, Hey, like, you can call us underdog, overdog. You can even call us Snoop Dogg. Like, we don't think about that kind of stuff. We just <laughs> want to play hockey. Um, and some of, the, some of the guys loved it. And then, ironically enough, Snoop Dogg was like the Spring Fest singer at RAT and he rocked like an RAT hockey jersey.
1: No way. Yeah, oh, so, reality. you're basically boys with Snoop D O Double G, is what you're saying.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, hey, Snoop D O Double G didn't follow me, but I was a big DJ Polly D fan for Jersey Shore. Oh my God. Of course I you were. Twitter. No big deal. No big deal. He, he's got me a follow.
1: Cabs here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like it. And then, so you, you had your career, you played a year or so of, of pro hockey after that. And then you got right into coaching at NAS, uh, which is division three school for people that don't know up in Rochester, New York. So you got to kind of stay, I don't want to say stay home, but kind of stay home right around in that area there. Um, did you always know that you wanted to get into coaching? What, what kind of got you into it?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I legit never really thought about it until uh, going into my senior year at RIT. I did a, a co-op at Kodak um, in Rochester, and I was in a cubicle for um, 40 hours a week. And in that cubicle, I kind of learned like, hey, like sitting in the cubicle and I actually got they Kodak was extremely generous and paid me really, really well for, a co- uh, for the co-op. But like I was just sitting there being like, I, I, I need human contact when I was in there, all I was doing was watching like YouTube videos and and thinking about the skates in that evening and thinking about my workouts. So like that kind of said to me, like, I needed to kind of be a little bit of a social creature. As as you know, Toph, I'm a little bit of a social butterfly on the road.
0: Uh, Uh, you think, (laughs) um,
2: and then my, my first year pro, I, I missed my relationship with my college coaches where, um, like they weren't afraid to lay into me, but like, I knew they, they valued me more than just a hockey player. Like they, they knew my family, they knew my girlfriend, they knew what I liked to eat. They would chirp me about whatever. Um, and that first year pro, like I had a good experience in the American league, East coast league, but it, it just, I kind of wanted that honest relationship with someone and like, it felt like a valuable relationship. And then going into my second year pro, I, I did not have the, I just had like an East coast league contract and assumed that I might be a little bit of a suitcase, which I was.
1: And when I left,
2: to go, um, to training camp, I said to the RAT coaches, okay, if, if you have any coaching options, like, let me know. I think I might want to get into it. And if you think I'd fall flat in my face, I won't be offended, but I think I'd be halfway decent on it. They're like, no, like we actually think you'd be really good. And then, um, I think whatever my going into my second or third stop in the coast that year, um, will shot me a text and was like, Hey, like one of the guys said, uh, you got released, like for what it's worth, George roll is starting a division three program at Nazareth, like I think it'd be a good opportunity for you to learn from a good man who's got a ton of experience and you could get your master's paid for. And um, ironically, George recruited me a little bit to Clarkson back in the day. So we had a little bit of a prior relationship. And when I was in pro, my second year there, I was 26 years old and everybody was just like, oh, like you're so old, you're so old. I'm like, how am I old? Like I'm my second year out of college. So I was like, my thought process was like, you know, maybe I get into coaching and Hopefully they tell me 26 is young. So let me get in this, um, learn from George, help start a program, get my master's and see what happens. And again, if, if I don't enjoy it, at least I have my master's, but like, as soon as I started working from George and we worked together to build that team, like it it was unreal. I I was totally hooked.
0: That's really cool. It is like a drug when you first get into it, you know, you get into ranks, like your job is hockey, you know? And then we always, we always think about like playing in the NHL and stuff, but then, when that dream (laughs) disappears a little bit, they're like, all right, what's the next coolest thing. And then you end up getting that job. And now all of a sudden you're like behind the scenes and you're learning about game plans and you're learning about recruiting. And, and it just like, it is, it's like a drug. You just want more of it and more of it and more of it. And you've gotten the chance to learn under some pretty cool people. You know, George roll is, has been a coach for a long time, very successful coach. I've Got to, play obviously for, for Wayne Wilson, and then got into coaching with Greg Carvel at St. Lawrence before you guys moved over to UMass. And, and, you know, Carve is a guy that obviously has had a lot of success in, in a lot of different places. And and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening would love to know what it was like to work with him and, and how you guys were able to build up not only the UMass program, but the St. Lawrence program. When you guys were there coached against you a couple different times for a couple of years uh, and always a tough place to play. And uh, I think carve what called it, what the Fenway park of college hockey at, uh, up at Appleton and in St. Lawrence. Um, so what was it like working with him and what was it like kind of taking over these programs and, and building them up to, to be in, obviously you guys were national championships at UMass, um, uh, but also did a really good job at St. Lawrence as well.
2: Yeah, no, I first got to work with, with Carve and, and Mike Herlbert at St. Lawrence and things, things were trending in the right direction. Chris Mayotte, who I think he's been on the pod before and you know well, Toph and, and Jeff, he, he kind of started things trending in the right direction and I just did everything I could to kind of help with that process. Um, but at St. Lawrence was a great place to start on the ice and even off the ice. Um, kind of crazy. Carve actually offered me the job to St. Lawrence the day of my rehearsal for my wedding Um, I was walking into like the rehearsal dinner and car's like, Hey, like I want to offer you a job to work for St. Lawrence. I was like, Hey, I'm all in. I got a wedding tomorrow and then I'm hopping (laughs) on a plane to go on my honeymoon for 10 days. So see, see in 10 days. And uh, he he was great about that. But um, being around him, just extremely detailed, um, very passionate about the game um, wants to see players develop. wants players who want to be coached. and he was great too. Coming from a pro background, like he basically was just like, hey, Jared, like I hired you to do a job and you're going to do it. I'm not going to micromanage you. And I never felt once like he ever looked over my shoulder. Like he was great to allow me to, to recruit, to work with the goalies, to do the PK, to work with the D. Um, and he also allowed me to get feedback on different things and um, a lot of like open, honest communication. And um, we got things. Um, obviously I think we had some good success there at St. Lawrence and then we just pre- basically tried to push it to another level at UMass and B- Ben Barr helped out with that, um, a lot learning from him too at, at UMass, him and I shared an office for five years. And, um, Benny basically became like my best friend, um, during our time, but the, the three of us coaches, um, seeing that and, and UMass too, like, like carve preaches culture, but like he lives and breathes culture and the, all the staff all the players have to follow suit. And it's cool to see um, basically taking the, the, the core values off the wall and living them and breathing them and living and breathing to your identity and not just on the ice, but that identity for the guys in the classroom, in the dorms, for us coaches, like with your family, when you're recruiting, um, we kind of had that mentality, but also learned too, like, it's not just the coaches – um, the value of the hockey ops director and the strength coach and the trainer and the equipment manager and the volunteers, um, all those people had a huge hand in us making the, the change at UMass. And obviously um, players like Kale McCarr help, help with the process on the ice. Um, but the culture piece is probably the, the biggest thing with carve that he, he preaches, but he lives and breathes it. Um, and he's, he's extremely honest with his staff and uh, he's sensitive, but in a good way, and uh, he's an unreal family man, too, so I mean, I I wouldn't be in this position where I'm at in my coaching career if he didn't give me an opportunity, and I'm extremely grateful, and extremely grateful, too, of my time that I spent with Benny, because I learned a lot about recruiting. Um, I think a lot of people just look at college coaches, and they're like, oh, like, you just picked the best player on the ice, and you know, my my four-year-old Paige, like, she can tell that Connor McDavid is legit, Um, but, like, how are you going to get that player committed to you? How are you going to get them to your campus? How are they going to get developed? That, that's where uh, Benny really taught me a lot about that stuff. And that, that was cool to see. And like I said earlier, too, like the hockey ops director, um, Tove. you know, Brendan McHugh, like Brendan McHugh really helped out the program. And then <laughs> Ryan Mahan, um, who was like our, our student um, operations manager, and he got elevated into that position. Like he completely changed our program for the best with organizing our team and our meals and our practice plans and schedules. Um, We, we nicknamed him the mayor, but he he was like unreal. So too often I feel like uh, um, some people will get kind of undervalued and someone like Ryan Mahan as our hockey ops director, like he, he was big time and um, he's now on working in the business world, making a lot more money than he would in hockey but uh, we wouldn't win that national championship without somebody like him.
0: That's really cool. It definitely takes a village, you know, in in every aspect. And and yeah, like if the equipment manager doesn't do their job or the equipment manager is brutal, like just brutal to be around, you know, that has an effect on, on the players and, and, in fact you get so many people in there that are pulled on the saber open stuff so uh, like you know hearing you talk about this kind of stuff obviously we're really big on culture we talk just a ton about it on on the podcast and we believe in it so much even though it is cliche it's still everything and you talk about he lives and breathes and you guys live and breathe the culture and identity you know how did you guys as a coaching staff go about living those values every day you know what does that look like in a typical day typical day it sounds like you guys were really people oriented, you know, and, and made sure that everybody was recognized for uh, uh, the jobs that they were doing and stuff like that. So take us through a little bit, like what does that mean when you talk about your staff and Carvin specifically, really living that culture, living that identity, and then it kind of filtering through with everybody else?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, Car- Carve is a, is a very, very smart man. Um, and like now basically every single team has a strength coach which is basically like par for the course. But Carve was, I think a little, had a little bit of foresight where we, we had a mental skills, sports performance coach that worked with our team. Um, and he worked hand in hand with us without St. Lawrence and at UMass um, establishing those values, establishing the identity. Um, and we literally would talk about those things every single day. Um, and we would talk like, hey, like what core value Did we do well today? What core value did we miss? Let's rank them our identity. Where was it at? Um, And sometimes those conversations are very uncomfortable. We're like, Hey, whatever. We missed one of those core values or, Hey, I'm the guy that didn't do my job. But when you look at each other face to face and you look yourself in the mirror, um, it makes every guy better. And our players did the exact same thing. Like we're not big, on putting up motivational quotes and things like that all over the place. Like at UMass, it's basically just the the core values and identity that are up on the walls. So you see those things, you should live those things. Um, Carve puts a lot of extra effort in to doing things throughout the season, talking about culture, talking about the values. Um, the summertime, like we were able to, to fundraise to be able to get the guys come back in the summertime. And that's a chance for them to get acclimated. Um, so it's just, it's a little bit different thinking and, and things like that. But we, we felt like at UMass, um, we knew, like, we weren't that program, that, that bright, shiny toy, and we needed to find something to be the equalizer. And, and the culture for us at UMass, we felt like was the equalizer with the, with the Blue Blood programs. And obviously, we were extremely lucky to inherit a player like Kale McCarr. Um, but then we added in some good ones with Mario Ferraro and um, Mitchell Chafee, John Leonard, Zach Jones, um, Mark Delgado, uh, Jake Goddard, Oliver Chow—like all these names, whatever. Like Kale gets the most attention, but a lot of these guys kind of—we worked hard to get, but they bought into our culture and our identity, and it just grew and grew and grew. And um, I mean, Carve is the one that's that's pushing it and beating the drum the most, and he leads by example.
0: That's unreal, man. And and I want to ask you too about the recruiting piece and the recruiting side of it, because we had Benny Barr on the podcast. Um, I don't know. He was pretty close after when he got the main job, I feel like. And a lot of what he talked about is recruiting the right players, you know, not just the best players, but recruiting the right players, players who are going to fit in with like our, our culture and, and our identity and stuff. And, you know, I think even talking to, you know, our kids that, that I coached at the youth levels of 16s, we had a couple kids that committed to schools and stuff. So they're, kind of familiar with the process but not really familiar with the process but you know they all feel like um you know, you just have to be the best player and you have to, you know, put up all these points, which is good. You need, you know, you need to put up points and, and, and things like that. But at the end of the day, like, and it kind of goes back a little bit to fit what we were talking about before, it's gotta be the right fit for you. So as somebody that goes and, and, you know, you work your ass off on the road and recruiting, you're always in rinks and stuff, you know, w- what is like a typical kind of kid that fits in with somebody that would win a national championship with your staff there? at UMass it's obviously Cal McCarr is is special (laughs) and and uh, once in a generation type talent which which helps but he doesn't do it alone and so just take us through a little bit of your mindset on on recruiting and and making sure you're you're getting the right kids that are going to fit what you do
2: yeah no and carve Benny and I like we would talk about it I mean on a daily basis with with recruiting Um, I think too often everyone just gets mesmerized by that whatever really, really flashy player on the ice. But is he going to fit in with our identity off the ice? And that's something, too, where, where Carve um, does not bend, and it's impressive, where he wants you to live and breathe the core values in the classroom, in the weight room, in the dorm. So um, we, made, we put a huge premium on getting players with strong academics. Like, we, we had have, we have the number one male athletic GPA here at UMass, I think, four of the six years or three of the six years so we weren't willing to to sacrifice academics for hockey like we just put a premium on that Um, and we would talk all the time recruiting just finding guys that would play to our identity like are they going to help us win in the game seven are they going to help us win in a 1-1 game in the third period on the road like what's their mentality going to be and us kind of looking at things like we we looked for kids that were all in on it and When we would have a conversation with a kid or text message with them um were they responsive were they polite were they respectful um but also too like it's a two-way street like does does the kid want to come yes and then do you want him to come yes but like we're not a single kid we ever got down on our hands and knees and begged or made any promises and kale mccarr including like kale kale could have gone anywhere in the country like he i mean when he when we inherited him everybody and their mother was trying to get him to go somewhere else and to kale and his family's credit, he, he stuck to his commitment, which is very, very difficult to do. And I get now why some kids, um, make different decisions, but the kale and his family are of the highest integrity. And they're like, Hey, like we didn't just commit there for the staff. Like we committed there. Cause that's the school for us and that's how we do it. And obviously some people see things differently now, I'm not saying one way is right or wrong. Um, but when you, when you have a kid like that on your team, like that sets the tone for the integrity of everything um, on kind of handling things. And like, again, it was just recruiting to our identity and how, how could we help the players and how could they help us? It's a two way street. I think too often kids want, well, I want to be promised first power play and first two lines. It's like, well, if you want that promise, then you better be the best player on the team can you guarantee me that there's no way that you can guarantee me that so you better work as hard as you can you better work as smart as you can and that's going to open up some opportunities but we, we really found a way i think to just have honest conversations with kids during the recruiting process and if they liked what they heard they were fully bought in and there was plenty of kids kind of through the natural filter of conversations if we told them we were going to hold them accountable and if they had a whatever they had a really bad shift or a really bad game. They might come out of the lineup. The right kids were like, yes, like that's the kind of coaching I want. And in my opinion, the wrong kids, when they heard that, Oh, I have a really bad game. And I might come out of the lineup. The wrong kids are like, well, Oh, I don't want to go there. Like, so um, I think we found a, uh, not saying it was perfect by any stretch, but I think we did a pretty detailed job with it and um, we got the right group of kids. And um, I, I think UMass is definitely a, a special place to, to, to play it's a special place to coach and I'm looking forward to how they do this upcoming season.
0: That's really cool. Vex, I saw your face
1: when he was talking about the promising stuff that's striking <laughs> over there, buddy. That stuff drives <laughs> me nuts. Cause I'll hear parents all the time be like, well, they promised my little son Johnny first PP time. And I'm like, take that promise and wipe your butt cheeks with it. Because what happens if he turns it over on the power play three times in that first game, he's off the power play. Like, come on. Like, like, Earn everything, like I don't. They're not real. Those promises aren't real. I don't care who you are. They're not real. So like, and you should earn it. You should earn it. Like, stupid. Yeah. No, I mean,
2: (laughs) I I think something we're touching on too, and and this is where, um, I think Kale is like, and his family is super smart. Like, I think too often kids are like, like, where where are all the good players going? And it's like, well, like, yes, like, there's really good players there, but like, they might be in a position where, um you might not play like go where you're going to play a ton, go where you're going to get a lot of ice time, like go where you have a chance to potentially earn a lot of minutes as a freshman, like instead of just, Oh, being a minion and, Oh, I'm everybody good goes there. I'm just going to go there. Like, no, like, <laughs> like, like whatever, like my dad's thought process, Hey, the team might not win as many games, but you're going to get better and you're going to play a ton. That that might be fun. So,
1: well, That's let's definitely get clips that for those people who couldn't see <laughs> team like <Michael here. laughs> Well, let's, let's go on this a little bit, because I want to ask you about something that wasn't around when any of us played college hockey, and that's a transfer portal. Like, because that kind of goes like, college hockey was like, there was so much pride in it. You know, like, so much pride, and everyone cared about their school and like, winning, winning a game, like was so exciting, because we were all going to sing the fight song together. Like there was so much pride in your university. And now like I hear guys talking and uh, you know, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there, whatever. Like how do you feel about that as a college hockey coach?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a new world. It's a new beast with the the transfer portal. And I mean, it's here to stay. Um, I think like Tove said, like I think it's important that you find the kids for the right reasons that want to be there for the right reasons. And they want to be coached. And I think that's where you just, you have to paint an honest picture with the kids and, Sometimes that's that's hard to do where you might miss out on a player or two but you're going to get them for the right reasons and um we whatever at UMass we we coached our players and they wanted to be coached they they wanted to go over video they wanted to be held accountable um but it, it is it's it's going to be really interesting here where if so-and-so maybe gets healthy scratch or so-and-so gets taken off the power play like oh I'm just going to go somewhere the grass is greener but um hockey like life is hard and uh again, everything is earned. Nothing is given. Um, and you're, you're only as good as what you were today and you better work hard and get better tomorrow.
0: In fact, you're probably in a really weird position. Like I feel like strength coaches are like the people who really know about this stuff because they hear the kids talk like when the coaches aren't around. (laughs) Yeah. So especially with you, like they're honest with you and stuff. And it just got to be kind of like weird hearing
1: like them talk about that stuff. I mean, I, I, like I saw some of my teammates in college get cut who had full rides. And I, when I got to college, I had never heard that scholarships were one year renewable. I, like I hear, Oh, you get a full ride. I, th- I thought no matter what, like you're getting that full ride. And then I get to Western and my freshman year, one of my teammates got cut. It was a freshman. He, honestly, he was not good enough to play division one hockey. They did a bad job um, recruiting, but in my head, you go to a family's house or you call somebody and you're getting a full ride, like, I think that that should be honored. Um, so it's, it's, I don't know, it's like kind of like weird, like, so, it, you know, if you're telling a family, you got a full ride, your school's paid for, but then you're also like cutting guys. I, I can see why, you know, the transfer portal thing kind of arose. Um I wish that they couldn't cut guys. And I wish that it was like, you stayed at your school for four years, but because of that type of stuff and guys sometimes get buried or whatever, like I can kind of see both sides uh, from the player's standpoint. Um, But yeah, you know, I hear guys talking about it all the time and they have a great, you know, I have have clients who had a great year last year and they're switching schools to massive name schools. Um, And I hear why they're doing it and you only live once. So I don't know. It's, it's hard for me. It's hard for me. It's a hard rule. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know how I feel about it. Tof, how do you yeah. feel about it?
0: I mean, it's a different beast, man. Like it's, it's just a different beast and and everybody has different challenges. Everybody has different, and that goes for players and that goes for coaches too. Right. And in filling your programs and then players figuring out that there's just so much unknown that goes to it. And it's like the, what is this the first year last year, right? Where it was fully, or maybe second year. It, it's, it's
2: really, it's blown up like the last two years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, like it, I, I don't envy a lot of people because you have to figure things out on the fly. Like I couldn't imagine being a coach and having one of your players come into your office and say, Hey coach, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to transfer. <laughs> yeah.
2: Like No, I'm uh,
0: what? <laughs> and then I, at the same time, like, I, I can't, I couldn't imagine like being a player and having the end of the year meeting with the coaches and the coaches saying, Hey, like, we're probably not going to play next year. Um, you know, maybe you should look to transfer. Right. So like it, there's just so many different ways to skin the cat and, and, um, it's just every program kind of figuring out what that, what that sweet spot is. I know I've D Mike, I'm sure you've had a lot of conversations with guys on the road over some beers about like, Hey, like we don't want to use the transfer portal. Like, We want just, Jeff, like what you're saying, like we want to develop, like if we have four guys every year coming in, how do you develop that culture where everybody is loving singing the fight song and it's not just about them, right? But, you know, what if the right player comes along that would would be an unbelievable fit for your program? Like, it's just a balancing act, I feel like, and D-Mike, you would know way better than I, I would being in it and not just like talking to people in it, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's something that everybody's just trying to figure out right now.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, and it's, it's tough. Like I agree with Jeff, like whatever you like, Toph, you mentioned my lead prospects, like go back and look at it. Like I didn't play a ton my freshman and sophomore year. And I talked to my wife care about it. Like, you know, like would I have thought about, like, Oh, let me hop in the portal. and see what's out there. Like, no, it's actually the best thing for me that I just, kept my mouth shut, worked hard, and tried to let my actions do the speaking um, and and go from there. Like, that was the best thing for me. And I do think there is positives to it where maybe a kid's not playing a ton and he goes somewhere else and gets a better opportunity. Um, I think right now, like, with the players getting their COVID year, like, I think it's actually pretty great that a lot of kids are getting an opportunity to get their masters paid for. Um, <clears throat> but it's hard uh, it's hard to chew on and, and like it that whatever – so-and-so is leaving a place because he thinks he's going to greener pastures. Um, And usually when that happens, most of the time, it it doesn't work out for that player. So, um, I mean, there there are positives too with some of the programs where if a kid is maybe to sign early, then like a kid can potentially get an opportunity there. Like that helps some programs. Obviously other programs aren't dealing with players signing early. So it actually probably might help out the junior hockey teams a little bit where – Kids, teams might be more looking towards the portal than to take a kid out of junior hockey. But uh, it's, it's interesting to watch how other colleges are doing it and I don't think there's any perfect science. Um, but I, I think, again, uh, I would hope that the kids are going in there. Hopefully they're going in there for the right reasons for the right opportunities and not because they're going in there because they're pouty pants, but um, it's, it's another beast. And um, somebody told me the figures of how many kids have found homes and it's not nearly as much as what you'd think. Like it's over half of the players that go in there, like don't even find another place to play. So like you you better be careful careful. what you wish for. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think it's at another level in football and basketball and college sports. um, And it's whatever, it's basically like free agency, but um, I think you'll see like those, those, those programs that have the strongest culture, like they're, they're going to continue to have success and teams that are maybe ch- chasing that bright, shiny object or that bright, shiny player in the portal. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see. Again, I, there's no crystal ball for it. but um, so it's there Are there any
1: schools that have been, like, outspoken and we will not take anyone out of the portal? I, I,
2: I, haven't, I haven't heard anyone or seen anything like that um, I could, I could be wrong. I could be missing that. I try, I, whatever I get lost in the social media weeds every once in a while, but I try to put it away. So my wife doesn't strangle me, but I haven't, I haven't seen anyone, uh, make that, uh, announcement or anything like that.
1: Well, if you're using social media and you find a product you like, just use the code GMBM odds are I got a deal on it. What's up. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, D Mike, we've had you on here for a while, but we got to ask you, obviously some pretty cool things ahead for you coming out to, to East Lansing, back out here in the Midwest to, to coach with Michigan state and the Spartans, um, and you know, really, really historic program, um, one national championships, uh, as we were talking about before, like I grew up in the Midwest and Michigan, Michigan state and Wisconsin were like the three schools that everybody kind of had up on their pedestal of, of places that we, we wanted to go to. And so, you know, what's your thought process on going in there? How excited are you and, and what are you looking to do uh, when you get your feet wet, when you get out to East
2: Lansing? Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm excited. I mean, it was extremely difficult to, to, to leave UMass, extremely difficult to, uh, to move on. I mean, Carve and I had been together for eight years, but um, Adam Nightingale reached out to me completely out of the blue, like no prior relationship with him. And just, um, we had a multitude of different conversations and was just blown away with him, with his vision and thought process and um, about hockey, about life, about what he valued. Um, and we just kind of like hit it off. And then uh, when we met in person, just very free flowing and then just seeing everything at Michigan state. Um, and I think the prior two staffs like did an unreal job at kind of building things like, uh, seeing the, the rink and the fundraising that had been done like from Manassas and Danton Cole, like th- those staffs worked extremely hard. And we're basically the beneficiary of a 25, $30 million renovation to the rink, the locker room for player development. Um, so, like, we're, we're walking into a really good situation and we're going to have to work extremely hard and and um, find the right players to to elevate things here. Um, but I think too often when you come into a situation, like, you, you throw stones at the prior staff where, like, we're, we're basically walking into one of the best facilities in the country, um, which really helps with recruiting and with player development. Um, but, again, you can have really nice things. You better use them. Like, I, I said it to a few kids, like, hey, you can – You can have a Lamborghini and you can look at the Lamborghini, but you better take it out of the garage and take it for a rip. Like you better take advantage of it. So, um, but no, I mean, the, the the campus, uh, I'd never really seen campus was extremely impressed. Um, And just by all the people out there, like they're, they're very, very nice. You guys know this, um, the Midwesterners, they're, they'll they'll look you in the eye. They'll say hi to you. They'll have a conversation being a new England East coast guy or, maybe not as friendly. Sometimes we can be a little prickly where we just might not even give you a head nod, terrible
1: drivers too. my God. The people on the East coast are savages.
2: I'm going to bring that savage driving mentality out to the U.S. <laughs> um, but I, I think to the, the opportunity to, to learn from Adam Nightingale, like his resume from coaching in the NHL with Jeff Bachel and Dan Blausma and um, working with the world championship teams, the U S world championships and the under 18 team, um, he's got some really great, interesting ideas, just selfishly for me to grow as a coach and learn. And um, I think I still have that mentality that um, I have that chip on my shoulder where the, the chance to work with some really good people at Michigan state and, and get that program going, where I think a lot of the the staff alumni administrators and friends of the program where they want it to be. Um, and that's a, that's a huge, huge challenge, but um, I'm, I'm whatever, I'm, I'm super pumped up about it. I'm ready to tackle it, even though right now it's, it's smacking me in the face but that's that's a good thing we're going to we're going to chip away at it one day at a time
0: it's a lot of life stuff goes on people don't realize when you're moving jobs you're moving your family and there's a lot of logistics and a lot of crazy stuff that goes into it and then you also obviously want to do the best job that you can to to start getting her going for the big green out there. But, uh, D Mike, thank you so much, man, for, for coming on the podcast. This was awesome. Um, best of luck getting out to East Lansing. And, uh, I know it's, uh, it's definitely bittersweet. You guys did an unbelievable job out there in UMass and got some great memories and got some jewelry, uh, to go along with that experience. But, uh, yeah, best of luck out there. And I'm sure I'll be seeing you around the ring soon.
2: Awesome. Th- thanks for having me, boys. You best, you. Good
1: luck, brother.